Google I.O. has come and gone, and boy, did Google have a lot to say about it and to show off. So who's better to discuss it than the editor-in-chief of Android Police, Daniel Bader? So that's what we're going to do. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're taking a look at Google I.O., the annual developer conference from, well, Google, so it's appropriately named. This year there was a lot to talk about, including some software, some hardware, and some neat enhancements that might just make your life a little bit better. And to talk about it, we've got Daniel Bader, content director at Velnet and editor-in-chief of Android Police. Or we have Cliff, who is a co-producer and oh-so-cuddly. You see, as I write the script, I've got Daniel booked, but there's a personal matter on his part that may prevent his participation. So Cliff is the backup. By the time I record this script, the interview will have already happened, but dear listener, I am far, far, far too lazy to edit this script later. So what I write on Thursday is what I'll say on Friday, hell or high Bader. And come to think of it, high Bader might even be more fun. Either way, we're talking about Google I.O., and there is still no Tech Yeah for this week because I'm changing up the formula for Tech Yeah a little bit and sprinkling a little bit more Cliff, but that's taking some time, and well, okay, actually, as it turns out, there is a little bit of a Tech Yeah, very impromptu, but it's what we in the biz might call native advertising a Tech Yeah segment. You'll see. It's a long story short, I know, too late. It's just a little bit of Tech Yeah and maybe a bit of Bader. Whatever the case, there's something we have to do first, and that, of course, is the news of the week. Before we dive into the news of the week, I have something of a hashtag personal news tweet that I wanted to share. May 20th is going to be my last day at Digital Trends. That's right, the job that I've been fighting for for five months is not going to be anymore. But that's okay, because I'm actually moving over to XDA developers. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, (laughs) XDA developers? You? Trust me, I'm thinking that too. But I am moving over to XDA developers as the section editor for mobile sans the interim tag. That'll be happening on June 1st, and you might be thinking, uh, does that mean you're going to put the show on hiatus because it's like a new job and stuff, and that's kind of what you did last time around this time, you got a new job? But no, that's not what's going to happen because I'm taking over on June 1st, and then like 15 days later, I'm going to Hawaii, and the show's going on hiatus anyway, so I'm just going to power through those 15 days, and everything will be groovy. But what that means is I will no longer be at Digital Trends, so maybe there will be less Digital Trends on this podcast, but honestly... Probably not, but there will be more XDA developers, and that's exciting, and I'm excited to get started, so let's get into the news. You might be familiar with Carvana, the used car vending machine company. Well, unfortunately, they might want to start checking the change tray because they started hemorrhaging cash as the pandemic wanes, and now the company is laying off about 2,500 workers, which completely sucks. But what's worse is that they're laying off the employees while at the same time closing a $2.2 billion with a B dollar deal to buy a car auction company, and that's not a great 
look, Carvana. Don't you think you could, I don't know, maybe develop that $2.2 billion into salaries? Just a thought. Some of the employees took exception to being laid off over Zoom, which is kind of weird considering that's probably how they were working in the first place. Did they expect their bosses to, like, I don't know, fly to their house and personally hand them their walking papers? Look, I get it. It sucks to get fired over Zoom. I've been fired over Zoom, okay? It's the price you pay for working over Zoom. And speaking of bad looks, Twitter CEO, well, Twitter CEO for now, Parag Agarwal fired two members of his leadership team, one of whom was in the middle of paternity leave. That's not awesome. New Baby is going to learn early what the unemployment line looks like. The two executives, Bruce Falk and someone who definitely doesn't pronounce their name as Kayvon Bekapur, both tweeted their respective firings on the platform that no longer pays their bills. Of course, the platform probably wasn't paying their bills in the first place, which is probably why they were fired. But in a weird twist, Agrawal himself replied to the tweets in question, thanking them for their work and wishing them well in the future, and low-key dismissing their shitposts like a good Twitter user. I mean, seriously, it's no wonder this guy is CEO. He really knows how to handle trolls. Twitter also told The Verge that they're enacting a hiring for and not backfilling any new positions, probably because they don't want Elon Musk to start raking new hires over the coals for a little bit, and that kind of makes sense. Of course, Agrawal himself might be on his way out if Musk has anything to say about it. Meanwhile, here on the podcast, I'm looking forward to a week when I don't have to talk about Twitter. And speaking of things that make your brain swell, scientists have discovered that spending time in space causes changes to your brain, and no, Bezos, I mean real space, not tourist trap space that you're peddling. Scientists studied the brains of astronauts, again, Bezos, astronauts, not just tourists, with an MRI before they visited the ISS and for months after they came back down. It turns out that parts of the brain called the perivascular spaces expand in volume and what's really interesting is that after the first trip to space the brain doesn't change anymore that's kind of wild now it should be mentioned that while i have the utmost respect for our spacefaring fellow humans these people are already not right in the head again with the utmost respect strapping yourself to the top of a million moving parts and a thousands of pounds of rocket fuel is not the work of the sanest of men it's frankly pretty awesome but at the same time i'm kind of glad i don't have to do it myself go astronauts have fun and you know being scientific and all that i'm gonna be down here on terra firma with lots of food water and breathable air thank you very much (laughs) you xda developers you've never even rooted an android phone you idiot and trust me i know i'm still laughing about it This week was Google I.O., and interestingly enough, it was the 10-year anniversary of both Google Glass and the Nexus 7 tablet, which debuted at Google I.O. in 2012. And, man, 2012 was a cool year for Google. Andy Boxall over at Digital Trends wrote retrospective pieces on both of them, and they're both worth a read. Andy owns both devices, oddly enough, both through eBay. Andy first got his hand on Google Glass when some non-tech British company gave away a 1,000 of them as the second prize for some contest, and 
no one knew what the hell they were, so they put them on eBay. Andy bought his for about a third of the original $1,500 asking price. The Nexus 7, meanwhile, was a recent purchase for about 20 pounds, specifically for this piece that he wrote. And Andy, I'm serious. I will pay you for that. Google Glass was very clearly before its time and not particularly well thought out, but damn, did it make for an impressive demo at Google I.O. 2012. The Nexus 7, meanwhile, was very well thought out, designed by Matthias Duarte back in the day, who was basically Google's equivalent of Johnny Aluminium Ive. But on the other hand, now that I'm thinking that Google has been going after tablets for 10 years and made very little progress... Maybe it wasn't such a great design, but there's more that we can talk about that in our top stories, so stay tuned for that and give Andy's articles a read in the meantime. The DJI Mavic Mini is one of my favorite drones of all time. Not only does the drone slide in under the 250 gram limitation for recreational flying, but it comes with all the DJI goodies and the price is right. Well, two generations later and now we have the DJI Mini 3 and Boy, does this drone deliver the goods. But we're going to do the bad news first. While the original Mavic Mini was only $400, the Mavic Mini 3 is now $670, which is a huge price jump. But according to Andy Zana, Digital Trends, the price is absolutely worth it. Not only does the Mini 3 still come in at 249 grams, but you get a 4K camera capable of straight up and straight down shooting, which is unusual in the drone space. The camera is capable of a 48 megapixel raw photos, and you can shoot up to 4K video at 60 frames per second. It can also capture amazing HDR footage, plus you get a bulletproof obstacle avoidance sensor pack. And there's a new kind of remote with a built-in screen so you don't have to rely on your phone, which is also a major plus. Overall, this is one powerful machine that commands a powerful price tag. Unfortunately, there's very little competition in the drone space, though I think I might be taking a look at a competitor in a not-too-distant future tech. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Lab-grown meats are one possible future for our meat-eating race. Animal cruelty aside, there are simply a lot of people that need to be fed, and believe it or not, cows and their farts are major problems when it comes to water consumption and CO2 emissions. So people are taking to labs to try to grow their own meats. And one entrepreneur is going in a, let's call it, different direction. Yilmaz Bora, CEO and founder of Prime Evil Foods, is working on growing meat in a lab, but this meat isn't from cows. It's from lions and tigers, and I'm not going to say it, except I totally am, and bears, oh my. Plus, more exotic animals that people might want to have a taste for. Okay. His philosophy is, and I'm not making this up, that people might watch a movie like The Lion King and wonder, hmm... I wonder what Simba tastes like with a side of broccoli. Personally, that's never occurred to me, but I won't judge. The fact is that growing exotic meats is just like growing beef and pork, but it's a fun niche that might actually help the concept gain traction. And you might be wondering, is Adam a proponent of animal rights and not eating meat? Not at all. I love a good steak as much as the next guy, and I don't particularly care how that steak ended up on my plate. It's delicious. But I also recognize the fact that growing meat in a lab might be a little more humane and a sustainable effort, and I'm all for that, too. I won't lose any sleep over old Bessie getting a hammer in the head, but if we can avoid the hammer altogether, 
so much the better. As for Simba, same deal. So I'm hoping that Primeval Meats finds some investors to fund his experiments because if he can figure out how to grow exotic meats at scale, mundane meats might follow. You might remember three years and about two podcasts ago, a team of researchers took the world's first picture of a black hole using a whole bunch of telescopes in an array and a whole lot of science, math, and computing stuff that I will never understand, but that's not important because it was cool and the photo exists. And oops, they did it again. The same team of researchers just took a photo of the black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy that astrophysicists knew was there but couldn't prove it. Well, now they can. The black hole is called Sagittarius A, which if you ask me, a little bit of a missed opportunity. They should have called it Sagittarius A-hole, which is, by the way is what my hipster girlfriend in college used to call me. But anyway, capturing this black hole was more challenging because of its size. It's smaller than the first black hole, which means the matter orbiting the black hole can change as often as every 5 to 15 minutes. By comparison, the original black hole that they took a photo of remained consistent for up to a week at a time, making it a lot easier to analyze the data. And if none of that makes sense, that's okay, because I'm not an astrophysicist, mathematician, or computer algorithm guru, as I said at the top of this story. The bottom line is, we have a photo of it, and it was hard to get because it's a freaking black hole, but we have one because of science! And finally, oh honey... Lego has a new set out, and it's less than $200, and Father's Day is right around the corner. This time, I have Optimus Prime set in my sights. Lego will release a new Optimus Prime Transformer that actually transforms on June 1st for a total of $170. I'd just like to point out that that is less than my last two presents, but unfortunately... Not by much. What's really cool here is that the Lego set actually transforms without having to be disassembled. Now, I was impressed when toy makers did it back in the 80s, but Lego? Holy crap, I need to have this thing. Of course, it won't be tax deductible anymore, stupid full-time jobs, but at least it'll be fun putting it together. And yes, it will be coming to a tech yeah near you, assuming my wife lets me buy it. My next guest on the podcast is something of an ironic guest on the podcast because the last time he was on this podcast, we talked about using a phone with no Google whatsoever. This time we're coming full circle and we're talking all Google all the time from Google I.O., which happened earlier this week. Daniel Bader, editor-in-chief of Android Police, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That was quite uh, quite an intro, especially since I don't remember what phone you were talking about. Was it a, from Huawei. I was don't it remember. a Huawei? Yeah, it might have been the, yeah. the P40 series or something. Probably something. It was a couple of years ago, and you know, it's a shame that it's taken this long to get you uh, get you back on here. I apologize for that, but uh, but yeah. So you were you were terrible. on because you were you were rocking a Huawei phone because you're Canadian and you can do that. And we were talking about like life without Google services at all and. Um, TLDR, you said it kind of sucked, and then <laughs> that's that's what we kind of uh, landed on there. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was back in like July. Still true. Still yeah, true. Yeah. To be honest, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. But uh, unfortunately, but now, 
Yeah. But now, and I have to admit, like, that's always been in the back of my mind. That's why I wanted to bring you back specifically for Google I.O. I just, I appreciated the irony there. And I'm sure I have at least one listener also that appreciates that. So, um, but you're also awesome to have on as a podcast guest in general. So this was just an amazing excuse to get you back. So Google I.O. was, I don't... Like, from a high-level view, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems like Google announced more this year than they typically do at Google I.O. And that could be because, like, in the past, I've been more of, like, you know, a hardware-focused kind of guy, so I might have just yada yada over the software stuff, but I'm not sure what's up with that. What did you think? I don't think they announced more. I think they announced more realistic things. Ah, okay, that could be. It was a little bit of, it was a lot less ambitious this year than in previous years. If you if you kind of take a step back and you look at previous years, there were there were things that Google announced like Duplex or the this the, these like large language models that were predicted to completely change the way that we work with our smart devices and. There were so many moonshots that didn't end up landing that I think okay. Google had to sort of pare it back a little bit this year and come around to the idea that there are so many disparate parts of the company. They're trying to create a cohesive narrative to bring everything together, and they're doing it under the guise of ambient computing and helpfulness mm-hmm. and this idea that by giving you bits of intelligence on any screen that you're looking at, powered by Google, it's just going to make your life better. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, so let let me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you dealer's choice. Do you want to talk about hardware first? Do you want to talk about software, or do you want to talk about Google stuff? Oh, so man, we have like I, three choices. Yeah, I mean, there's there's three buckets, and that's really what the the keynote was was about. And like so much, so little of it was about the developer stuff that. Google I.O. used to be, um, mm-hmm. and there's still more of that stuff. So there's like a, th- a fourth bucket that we could potentially talk about. Let's let's just talk Google. I mean, let's just talk like the okay. services and stuff that they that they announced. And, and like, I found some of these to be really, really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? I mean, let's let's just go ahead and dive right into multi-search near me. So Google rolled out this multi-search option, and there were two different things that you could do with it. The first one was called multi-search, and what they did was they added up added a near me variable to a search. So you could take a picture of like I don't know. I think one of the examples they said was you could take a picture of a dish mm-hmm. and say Google, what is this? And Google will identify. I have to be real careful with what I'm saying because I've got a Google Home right in front of me. Um, You could say, gee, what is this? And gee will say, well, this is kimchi. Oh, that's great. Where can I get kimchi near me? And you can actually do this like all in one step. So, you know, you can – it'll show you like restaurants where you can eat um, that kimchi. Although presumably if you're taking a picture of kimchi, wouldn't you just order from where you're taking the picture from? I don't know. I'm just – just, well, I, I think curious. this is but, also yeah. an extension of Lens. So if you have a photo in your library or you're finding something on Google and you download the photo, I think yeah. it's just like Google expects you to accrue a whole bunch of crap on your phone, and then they want to make that crap useful. So Can't like, confirm. I, I have a bunch of photos of random stuff that I'm like, how did that even get there? But maybe if 
you add a lens button to it and the lens ends up making it possible for Google to earn some money from the transaction, mm. they're going to, you know, it's a win-win situation for everybody. And ultimately, what is Google search now but a way to either show you ads or get you to spend money on sites that where Google makes a cut? So right. if you think about multi-search local in that context, this is a pretty smart move. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, I mean, just imagine, you know, you're, you know, you take a picture of like, oh, I don't know, an Optimus Prime Transformer that Lego's coming out <laughs> with in June that I definitely didn't refer to in the news segment. And you want to find out where you can buy that. And, you know, maybe Google, I don't know, does Google do affiliate links? I don't know. <laughs> but like, well, I don't Google think they say, do affiliate yeah. links, but they certainly but, have partnerships that where right, they, they right. get a cut. Right, so they could they could send you to a partnership website and say you can buy a Lego Optimus Prime from me. And by the way, I am so gonna buy that Lego Optimus Prime. <laughs> but that's a different that thing. Numbers. Looks incredible. Anyway, um, so like the other thing that they talked about was this scene exploration, which I thought was actually both potentially cool and all of the two things that they showed off the least likely to actually be utilized. And that was to like hold up your phone. To what they did was like a search of like a, a wall of chocolate that you see at like a Walgreens or a or a, uh, I don't know what you have what what kind of drugstores you have up there in in, in Canada. I mean, it's basically that we have okay. we have CVS, so, Walgreens, CVS. Okay, so yeah, so you hold up your phone and you say which one of these chocolate bars doesn't have nuts, and it'll like do like an AR thing where it like superimposes on the thing. For those listening, I'm making hand gestures oddly. Um, it'll superimpose the thing and say this one has nuts, this one has nuts, this one doesn't have nuts, but this one is made in a nut factory. Blah 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 blah, and then you can determine which chocolate bar does in fact have nuts. But the cool thing is, is that you can actually pan your camera like across a scene it's not just taking a single picture it's actually more like a video or like just more of like a like a scan type thing which um i'm kind of wondering like how they're going to make the ui of that work but it could be potentially pretty cool this is not going to work well i'm very skeptical (laughs) of of this idea that you so basically this idea is that google search is so powerful and lens is so fast that it can create um, context for what you're looking at in, in near real time um, based on Google's knowledge graph and, and its its database of, of, of products and, and basically its, its infinite knowledge of the universe. Um, left out the 5Gs. Right, and 8K <laughs> and AI. So, like, I just think the whole thing is is kind of crazy, but... If you do take multi-search to its next logical incarnation, yeah, it definitely looks a bit like this, where you're holding your phone up to whatever, and it's just giving you information about what that viewfinder is looking at. Um, Yeah. Really hard to pull off accurately, though. Just, like, not easy to filter information for that. So... Well, if, yeah. If any company can do it, it's Google. But this is—I think this is going to be one of those duplex things where they announce it and then don't actually roll it out in nearly as complicated a fashion as they claim during I/O. Right. Right. So, uh, Google's also rolling out virtual cards for payment transactions, which 
I kind of thought they already had, but I guess I was thinking of tokenization, not an actual virtual card. And this, this is, I guess, kind of another layer to that. Basically. This is exactly that. So I talked to Google about this, and okay. it it is virtualization. It's just a different form of it okay. compared to something like you have on Google Pay, where your actual your credit card is being tokenized so that you can use the NFC chip in your phone to make uh, in-store payments. This right. is a tokenized credit card that's connected to your Android phone or your Chrome browser, mm -hmm. and you can use that for, for web transactions. So it's sort of like getting a VPN email address where it's just mm. a forwarding email address, so it doesn't expose you to any liability. It makes it really, really tough to get fished. It's a kind of a one-time credit card that you can just use and throw away. It's only working with Citibank right now, so like it's very, very limited. But this okay. is just, it's, it's a further layer of abstraction from your actual credit card number on the internet. Plus, mm -hmm. because you've already done the authentication, wh while you're creating this virtual card, you don't need to enter your CVV for right. or for any of those transactions. And that's what Google really emphasized here is that yes, it's about security, but it's way more about convenience because people just freaking hate entering their CVVs because they never have that in front of them and never remember the number. I memorized mine, but okay. <laughs> also along with that, they also they briefed me and it was funny because like they briefed me on just this one small section of 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 what Google I.O. is going to be. And part of my briefing was not only the virtual cards, but also this My Ad Center that is going to be rolling mm. out that allows you to better configure what kind of ads are served to you. And from what I understand, it's, it's kind of like this interface where it says, okay, here's the ads that we just showed you. And then you can go in and be like, yes, but I don't care about... Dunkin' Donuts or, you know, but I really like Timmy Hose. And so, like, you can kind of, like, plus that up and minus down the other one. And then you can, Google will get a better idea of what ads to serve you. So that way you can get, like, things that are more interesting to you and therefore more likely to buy. So, I mean, this is interesting because Google already has a way to customize your ad preferences. It's called your ad settings you go to adsettings.google.com with your, you know, logged into your Google account. You can make these preferences today. It looks right. like Ad Center is just making this a bit more visual and a bit more, yeah. a bit easier to um, customize. Because right now, when you go to adsettings.google.com, you're just given an endless list of topics that Google thinks you're okay or that you you like, and it'll tailor your ads to that. And if like right. I'm looking at um, vehicle shopping, because I have looked at cars online. If I go into that right now and I turn that off, it will just assume that I'm not interested in looking for looking at ads related to vehicle shopping anymore. Yeah. But I think my ad center is like much more explicit about this, and you can turn it up and down sort of you know, with a kind of like a dial. Yeah. Um, I want to see yeah. more of this or less of this. It's not a right. binary thing. So I think more people are likely to use it because of that. And I also think it allows Google to say that they are giving control of the business model that makes the company billions of dollars a quarter over to the users 
in a meaningful way where in really they're they're still going to see as many ads as they always have it's right. just there's now a little bit more of a perception of control like i i i don't think this is as useful as people think it'll be but at the same time how many people actually scrutinize the adsense ads that they see pasted all over the internet like i don't so I don't know how this is actually going to make a meaningful difference to people's experiences on the web. All right. Now, I know there was a ton more that Google talked about, but there's one more thing that I want to talk about because we, we have a lot to cover and we don't have a hell of a lot of time to do it. So uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about was with Google Docs uh, and Google Messages, basically what Google is rolling out is kind of a TLDR feature, which will give you a sort of executive summary up at the top of a new document or a chat thread that you haven't been in for a while. And it'll say like, like, you know, this, you know, this document is about blah, 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 blah. It'll give you like, it seemed to give you like, like a paragraph summary of like what the entire document was, which helps you kind of jump in and, you know, get caught up a little bit quicker. And then in the chat window, it seemed to give you like sort of like a bullet list, like so-and-so and so-and-so are talking about this while so-and-so and so-and-so are talking about this. And, right. you know, meanwhile, your, your idiot nephew hasn't texted in three weeks you know stuff like that so um it'll give you like it'll give you examples of that and i thought that was potentially kind of cool it really is going to depend on like how it actually like <laughs> what the implementation looks like and you know is, is that going to be like something that people are going to have to like opt into or is it going to be something that's just going to pop up when someone joins a document for the first time i'm really kind of curious as to like how this is actually going to work because Google kind of breezed over it a little bit there. I don't know. I think this will be interesting for a certain subset of people that are not super users of Docs, right? And just mm -hmm. may need a reminder to access something or, um, you know, if you're working on a collaboration with a family member, you know, the, the, the Apple trope is like, use our services to plan a vacation and you like you, right. you open pages and you open numbers and like it all works together right like i think some people use docs in that way where they create a document or a slideshow or an excel spreadsheet or something i said excel spreadsheet a sheet and a sheet. um and they share it with a family member or somebody and then like they don't really think about it much and this will just send you a summary of that and be like hey like remember this thing that you're working on you might want to open that just like how google messages reminds you to respond to something that you haven't responded to in a few days i think that yeah. kind of nudging might be really useful similar to chat like i actually think the chat summaries will be really helpful as long oh, as yeah. people don't think that google is like parsing your messages and reading them because that's kind of creepy, but as long yeah. as Google makes it clear that this is all done on device and on device. it's all using AI and not actual people reading your messages, it'll be fine. I think it also depends on like where it's implemented because if that's going to be implemented into Google Messages, which is what I use for texting on every single phone that I use, then mm. that's going to be a lot more useful than if it's like integrated into like one of se Google's seven other messaging services that they have going on right now. So if it's actually going to be in like, you know, if it's going to be in the trenches with like the most popular messaging apps, then I could definitely, or like, why not all of them, I guess is my question, but it could, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. That would be a lot more, 
a lot more useful because I mean I know what it's like you know you get like a group thread going and you know you're at a movie or something like that and you come out two hours later and there's like 87 messages that you have to like scroll through if I can get like a real quick snapshot of what's going on in the conversation that would be amazing and I would love it forever and it would just make me a Google acolyte even more than I already am let's uh let's go ahead and move into hard i mean like again there was a lot of other stuff that they talked about but let's go ahead and move into hardware which was i think both exciting and a little disappointing at the same time <laughs> um i know you're jazzed about the uh, about the pixel buds so why don't we start our conversation with that gladly yeah, I think I thought you might like it. So Google's rolling out Pixel Buds Pro featuring premium sound and active noise cancellation, which is a first for the Pixel Buds, which I was actually really surprised to find out. I've never actually never actually used Pixel Buds before, so I'm hoping to maybe get that opportunity when these when these um when these roll out, but they're going to have active noise cancellation, transparency mode, all that, uh, all that cool stuff that honestly I kind of take for granted at this point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, but what, what in particular are you looking forward to in the uh, in the Pixel Buds Pro aside from a Pixel Buds with active noise cancellation? Or maybe that's the story. I don't know. That's not really the story. I mean, it is in a sense, but it it kind of for me goes back to the original Pixel Buds or the second gen Pixel Buds, which I loved and. And abhorred at the same time because they were, they had so much potential. They were extremely comfortable. They sounded great. They worked incredibly well and seamlessly with Pixel phones and any Android phone that supported Fast Pair. Um, and yet they had this endemic and extremely frustrating connectivity problem where mm. they would fall out of sync every few seconds and eventually lose connection to the device. Google promised to address this in subsequent updates made some improvements, but it turned out that it was a hardware problem that could not be fixed. They never recalled the device or ever made any meaningful apology for it. They just allowed users to go on using this flawed product. And then yeah. last summer, they released the Pixel Buds A series, which completely fixed the problem with the original Buds connectivity problems, but also shaved off the wireless charging, did away with a bunch of the sensors on the device on the on the earbuds mm. and really just made it a much more entry level product. But at $99, it maintained the comfort and the great sound and just everything that I loved about the originals and it didn't have any of those connectivity problems. Now, mm. one can assume Google learned its lesson is going to release these at $200, so it's under the cost of a lot of its competitors like the Sennheiser True True Wireless, you know, Momentum True Wireless 3 and a bunch of and the yeah. WF-1000XM4s. And it's gonna have great ANC, I have no doubt about that. And if the connectivity mm. issues have been fixed, these are gonna be my number one recommendation for Android users, period. Really? And that's just gonna okay. mean, because I know how well they work. I've used them and I have no doubt that Google's claims that they're going to sound good are true because the original Pixel Buds sounded really well, sounded really great as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking like if Google can nail this from day one, it's going to be so easy to recommend these to people. Nice, nice. So, like personally, I've been using the that's a terrible name, but it's the Technics E A H. Oh my god. Alphabet soup after that. They they run for about uh 230 bucks and these are like 
absolutely my go-tos right now. And, you know, obviously the Pixel Buds would be about 30 bucks cheaper, which is not nothing. Not to mention the app on these things is kind of terrible. But, like, the it's not so much the active noise cancellation that really blows my mind, even though it's really good. But the um, ambient noise, like, you when, you know, the pass-through, when you're, mm. you know, when you're having a conversation with people. Like, these are the only earbuds that I've ever owned, and I've owned a dozen or so at this point with the ambient mode that you actually can hold a conversation with them. And it's like not weird and echoey and, and crappy and stupid. So like, I just, I, I adore these for that reason only because like I can walk into a room, have a five minute conversation with my wife, never take out my earbuds and then like leave and then just go back to what I was doing. Oh, you're just one of those rude people. I, it's, it's not rude because they also go into my ears, so nobody knows that I'm wearing them. It's great. It's yeah, great. Come on, you can see, you can, you know, when people are wearing them. I've been called out. I've been called out for this so many times, where my wife has tried to have a conversation with me, even with transparency mode, and she's like, "Take your freaking earbuds out of your ear," and I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, yeah, but like it's fine." And then it's just like I can see it from their perspective. It really is like yeah. you're. Che- it's like when you're checking your phone or your smartwatch during a conversation it's just a little bit more passive than that right don't be that guy adam (laughs) don't be that guy you have to understand though one of the advantages of being as big a guy as i am is i'm very fleshy so like oh you can hide you can hide it in your folds they just like suck into my ears and nobody ever sees anything (laughs) so yeah enjoying this interview did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version the full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt for as little as two dollars per month you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show plus you'll get additional benefits like access to my discord early podcasts bonus live shows and so much more just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt that patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and if you don't want to be a patron that's okay too full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month so for example trimmed interviews in january will have the full versions on february 1st i don't want you to miss out just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because i still want you to love the show there are more great options for helping me out at benefit of support that's benefit of the slash support you'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefit of slash support i hope you visit i hope you take in some full interviews and as always i thank you for listening anyway yeah so that though they potentially could be very cool um yeah i just i just think that the anc and the ambient and, and the ambient noise and the sound quality just has to be thin goddamn nominal if it's going to pre- compete at the 200 dollars price point you're very right that there are many competitors above that price point but there are some below that price point as well that um can 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 make a solid argument well, so, you have me intrigued yeah. about these Technics now because I'm going to find the the Alphabet Soup. Um, it's, they, they do look they do look pretty good, and I've actually never. I mean, everybody who's ever listened to a pair of headphones owned a pair of Technics headphones at one point, but I've right. never listened to. I think I've I I didn't realize they were bought by Panasonic, but I have a yeah. pair of Panasonic earbuds here, and I wonder if they're similar. 
Yeah, the E-A-H-A-Z-6-0, link in the show notes, coming soon to a tech ad near you. All right. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll drop a link in the show notes for you, um, because you're my boo. Thank and you. that way you can uh, get hooked up with them. They're they're really good though, like uh, favorite earbuds ever, hands down. So anyway, uh, we should move on to what are you thinking? Watch or watch your six A. Well, let's get the let's get the accessories out of the way, and then we can get to okay. the meaty stuff. All right, so we'll dive into the watch, and we're just going to ignore the fact that my dog is barking in the background because. Eh, screw it. It's fine. Anyway, um, so we have the Pixel Watch, which was left on a table. You can't see it, but I'm making air quotes in a restaurant. So we actually already knew a lot about the design of the Pixel Watch, but now we've actually seen it. Mm-hmm. And what, how, how, how are we feeling about this? Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm digging the look. I, I got to be honest. I am cautiously optimistic. I, okay. I'm far less optimistic about the watch th- than I am about the earbuds because mm. aside from the connectivity problems, like it's pretty difficult to screw up a pair of premium wireless earbuds. It's really easy to screw up a smartwatch that people have been expecting for half a decade. And <laughs> there is the, no way it's going to live up to its expectations. It can't. It just poss- it can't possibly, right? It's this it, it's the it's the pixel story year after year. It's just now it imbued in this in, in this like fa- fairy tale style narrative of like the the prince coming and like saving the the damsel in distress or whatever and, and like the damsel happens to be every Android user on planet Earth that's just waiting for an Apple Watch. And it could come with a lifetime subscription to Omaha Steaks, and people would still be like, "This is bullshit. I don't like the strap." Anyway, <laughs> I mean, you're you're not wrong, but I I just think <laughs> we've seen Wear OS on the on the Galaxy Watch Four in its current state, like the Samsung. There you go, like the yep. Samsung version of it. We know what it's like on older devices um, running two point or two point whatever it is. Um, and Google is making a lot of promises. And really, oh, I just activated something. It's no. it's basically saying that it's going to be the best Fitbit and the best wearable and the best smartwatch you could buy for Android devices. And that's great. Mm. That's fine. Yeah. And I I really like you need to get the fitness stuff right because people wear an Apple Watch predominantly for the fitness stuff and the notifications. Everything else is gravy. Right, right. I mean, I'm kind of hoping that maybe Google can do kind of like the Apple Watch iPhone like integration. Like we built everything ourselves, so we can do really cool integrations that, you know, other third-party developers can't do or other third-party watchmakers can do. I don't know. I'm I'm really hoping for something like that. I mean, like one of the other things that I really appreciate about the Apple Watch that you don't get on some Android Wear devices, others you do, is just the bulletproof notifications. Like when you're yeah, when you get a notification, so it comes through right away and, you know, in, you know, immediately. There there's no lag, there's no nothing. Um, so I'm really hoping that there can be some really super tight integration there where it, like the notifications and connectivity are just absolutely bulletproof. You know, it's funny. Notifications on iOS are considered so much worse than that of, of Android. And yet, and yet the flip side is true on the wearables platforms. And mm-hmm. not to say that the wear, that the notifications on Wear OS are bad. I mean, you can, you can do 
basically anything you want. You can you can yeah. quick reply using voice, using text, using quick you know smart replies, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. it's pretty sluggish. Even on the Galaxy Watch Four, it's pretty sluggish. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just hoping that there's this radical rearchitecture of the whole experience that just makes it feel as smooth as it as it does on the Apple Watch. And I have my doubts. It would be amazing. All right. Okay. So now we have not one, but potentially, I don't know, I guess we can call it like two and a half phones to talk about because like, oh, and actually I, I, I didn't even mention that we haven't even talked about the tablet. Uh, anyway, eh, so we don't know anything right. about the tablet. Yeah. Maybe we should wait until uh, season six of Benefit of a Doubt podcast when this tablet actually exists, but a phone that is coming and will exist in season four of the podcast anyway, is the Pixel 6a, which we heard about this week, but won't get to see until almost August. Mm. So, and like, you know, I, I see, I've seen a lot of editorials and a lot of takes around the interwebs complaining about the cameras on the Pixel 6a, like it's it's like it's a major step back from what you can get on the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro, but at the same, but in the same breath, these articles also mention that this is the same camera set that you could get on the Pixel 4a and 5a, and going all the way back to basically like the Pixel 2, and like that's not bad. Like a lot, of, one of the main attractions of the Pixel, the A series of Pixels, was getting a great camera, or at least a really good camera, with Google's so- photo software implementation behind it, on a um, a more budget friendly device. And so I'm just not sure why this is such a bad thing. Uh, maybe it, maybe you have more insight into this that I don't know about. It's not a bad thing. In fact. I would encourage anybody who does write or read and agree with those editorials to go back to October when the Pixel 6s were released and compare the photos taken from the 5s and the 4s to the 6s. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. differences are not that dramatic, really. Like yeah. the, the Pixel 2 through 5a used the same camera system and gave Google years of data to improve and optimize what is ultimately a very kind of turnkey, middle-of-the-line IMX363 camera sensor. Yeah. Um, and they they did incredible, incredible things with it. Um, I don't think anybody who buys this phone is going to have to worry. And especially when you think about how it compares to the iPhone SE 2022, which does not even oh, have night yeah. mode. Yeah, You're, it's like night and day. I mean, literally not intended. It's like it's just not even a question. Like people who buy the four forty nine Pixel six A are going to have a ridiculously good camera experience, and that's that. I mean, just look at the five A. It's one of the most solid phones Google ever made. Yeah, Miriam Joar uh, last week on the podcast mentioned when we were talking about the Nord how this came up. I don't know, but she mentioned that if you take uh, a picture with the Pixel Five A and a picture with the Pixel Six, there, you know, the Pixel Five A actually will often have better results because mm-hmm. of the years of optimization that has gone into like the software side of the camera. You know, whereas the you know the sensors on the Pixel Six are new for the Pixel this year, so they haven't had that 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 enough of time to optimize the pipeline, basically. 
Yeah, so, I mean, look, I, yeah. I don't think anybody using a Pixel 6 after, what, six months or so is going to worry that the the, the software is going to do some, some weird stuff. But right. you do get some benefits using um, the 6A over the 5A, even if it has the same hardware. You know, you, yeah. you get Magic Eraser, you get all of these tensor-based improvements, and the pipeline being owned exclusively by Google means that I'm guessing if you compare photos taken with the 5A and previous to the 6A, it's actually going to be markedly improved. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, that is uh, that is something. I mean, I'm personally looking forward to the 6A. I think the Pixel 6A might very well be my next full-time phone just because of i love the 6.1 inch form factor i always you know that that's yeah it's like really my sweet spot the Mm -hmm. s22 ultra as good as it is man that is a tank yeah (laughs) that is just uh just that is just a chunk of a phone so uh we also got a tease about the pixel 7 which is for some reason which is coming this fall and oh, you know what? One thing we didn't mention about the Pixel Buds Pro and the Pixel 6a is that they are both coming pre-order start on July 21st and will actually ship at the end of July on the 28th. So yep. I'm sorry. Circling back to Pixel 7, uh, the Pixel 7 is coming this fall, and Google told us that it was coming this fall, and that was about it. That's <laughs> I it. Mean, that's yeah. That's that, I mean that's really all we. I mean we found out that there there's going to be like an aluminum like the the camera visor the Jordi LaForge camera visor is going to be aluminum or aluminium this time around which is uh, that's going to be a good look. Um, it has the same. <laughs> actually, the Pixel Seven Pro has the same pill and and cutout design that apple looks to have on the next iphone but on the front and this one's on the back so you know that led to my tweet who wore it better um thank you very much i'm here all week so but that's really all we learned about it was that it's going to be a thing it's going to have an aluminum finish on the camera bar and that's about it so why did google tell us oh and uh tensor generation 2 obviously um so like why did google tell us about this i'm just kind of it's it seems like so i mean did they have to mention it because that's when the pixel watch is coming too i don't think they had to do anything i think this is a strategic move to reinforce the fact that the pixel line is you know quote more cohesive than ever and that along with the pixel watch and the pixel you know buds and the pixel tablet and whatever else the company releases under the pixel name there is still and will always be a couple of flagship smartphones to buttress it and to be the center of that pixel life um i think it was important to to release to to release a bit of information while saying in the same breath that the pixel 6 series outsold the pixel 4 and 5 combined which is Mm -hmm. important because this year was kind of it, the perception was it was a make or break year for the Pixel mm. phones, and as difficult as software um, like experience as it's been for a lot of users, I do think that they nailed the fundamentals here. And now, yeah. if you're a Pixel Six owner, I have heard so many people say that this is their favorite phone they've ever had, regardless of whether it's the Six or the Six Pro. Mm. And Arguable. Google. Google just wanted to increase that momentum and, and maintain it. All right, so we've got like 
two minutes to talk about Android 13, which should about do it, honestly. Um, they didn't really <laughs> say all that much about Android 13, honestly, because, like, you know, the betas are out there, and, and the beta... I, I lost track because I never install a beta, but beta two is out now or beta one? I missed that. It was it was the developer preview before and now it's the beta, right? No, it's, so the the second the first beta was released in late April. Okay. Um, okay. And then the second beta was released on Wednesday at IO. Okay. Pretty gotcha. soon after the first. Um we know that the the first beta was actually a fairly old build. So Google had sort of been holding onto it for a while. And okay. uh, even though it was released in late April, it was dated for like the end of March. So the second beta is a lot more polished. It's just okay. much smoother. It feels more like a near final release, um, even though there are going to be like five or six betas. And yeah. overall, I just think Google is much, much clearer about what it wants out of Android 13. It took a while to get here. The first couple developer previews were rough. Um, yeah. yeah. But... Uh, I've liked what I see so far about Good. the the Pixel. Good, still not I mean, installing the, the, it, but okay. <laughs> I I would. I mean, if you're if you have a spare phone or you just want to throw it on a Pixel, I think you'd be okay doing it. Not going to do that anyway. Uh, so <laughs> okay. one one thing that they did roll out as part of Android 13 was the reemergence of the Google Wallet zombie, which existed mm -hmm. for quite some time and. Uh, then stopped existing, turned into Google Pay, and then they got GPay, and now they have both Google Pay and GPay for some reason. But now we're getting a Google Wallet, which is going to be seeming like, like a consolidation of all those different services. Or, knowing Google, it'll probably just exist next to those other services, and the, you know pretty soon we're going to have seven different payment services through Google as well as uh, seven different messaging apps so but one of the, some of the cool things include uh, digital IDs coming this year I uh, don't they didn't they didn't mention any particular states did they I know Arizona was the first one to get Apple IDs yeah they're like, not committing to any states yet it's it's a little right. bit more complicated Illinois will be number 49 at best I promise you because right. we still still don't have real IDs here it's just it's kind of sad but going back to the wallet, I think it's important to differentiate what Google is trying to do here. Now, yes, it's a mess because Google Wallet existed before and then it transitioned to Google Pay and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, wallet is still new to people outside of the U.S. because Google Pay has always been the only app that people outside the U.S. have, have had access to. Okay. And that is becoming Google Wallet in every other country except the U.S. and Singapore. So oh, okay. my phone in Canada will move from having Google Pay as an app to Wallet as an app that integrates Google Pay into it. Right. Whereas in the U.S., you're going to have separate apps for GPay and Wallet because in the U.S., GPay is a much more like offers and commerce-focused app. Mm -hmm. Um Whereas here, that doesn't exist. And then separately, Wallet is going to be that literal place that you store all your cards, including the credit card, i.e. Google Pay, that will let you pay for things. So yes, you'll right. have two places on your phone to be able to access Google Pay, but Google's like, nobody's going to think about it that way because when Google Pay is default as your payment service, you don't really need to open the app. You just need to yeah. like... Hold, hold your, your phone, phone near the t the terminal and it just works. Yes, 
Exactly. But we're not going to be any closer to drive through people asking something other than Apple Pay. Because at this point, absolutely true. At this point, I've gotten to the point where I just nod and say, "Yeah, sure, Apple Pay, whatever." <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's like the Kleenex of digital payments. It's just the, yeah. like nobody knows any better. It's an NFC payment, mm. and that's yeah. Google's fault. Yeah, it doesn't sound as sexy. All right, Mr. Daniel, we have reached the end of our hour. So there's honestly more to talk about. I mean, we could talk uh, about this so for much another- more. We could talk about this for another three hours, even though it was only a two-hour presentation. So, uh, But still, uh, it is time to roll out the red carpet for you, my friend. So everybody listening and here and at home and on the YouTubes and everything can hear know all about Daniel and find you on the Internet wherever you may exist. So now is the time to pimp your stuff. Uh, wow, that's a lot of pressure. Um well, when I wrote I'm wearing, a script for mine on All About Android, I'm just saying. When I'm wearing clothes, um, um, I you can find me at uh, androidpolice.com. I'm at journeydan on Twitter. Um, and that's about it. I, I don't really tweet as much as I used to because it's bad for my mental health. But um, I, I enjoy I enjoy this this failing platform. And uh, and I, I generally spend a lot more time reading it than I do writing on it. But uh, yeah, I I run Android Police. I run a couple other tech sites on the Valnet uh, network. Um, and uh, I'll be making some uh, announcements in a little a little bit uh, to that extent or to that end. But I'm not going to say anything now. So you uh, you're hearing it first. Um, well, my interest has peaked. Yeah. No. 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 It's uh, it's it's uh, it's fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm also having a baby in a few days, so that's going to be my baby. my big focus for the next little bit. Yay, baby Bader! Welcome back Yay, to the Battle Washing Club. I am never going to that club again. I just yeah. Anyway, congratulations! That is that. very awesome. Thank and you. I want yeah, I want to thank you for taking the time out to come online and talk to uh, talk to us about all things Google I/O. But. That is. This is going to be the end of the show because that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it and if you really enjoyed it. I would love it if you would write a review for the show. And if you want some early access, jump on to Patreon at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. You could write to the show by visiting benefitofadoubt.com slash contact. I would like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving us the benefit of the doubt.